We'll go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, Larry has some and he's bringing them around this morning. Psalm 119 is where we'll be. Uh, the book of Psalms is found in the Old Testament. If it's about halfway through your Bible, maybe a little bit towards the beginning. Psalm 119. 119 is the largest chapter in the book of Psalms. So we have the largest book and the largest chapter in the largest book. That's where we'll be this morning. We're actually only going to look at eight verses this morning. We're going to look at verses 25 through 32. This is a hopefully a familiar psalm to us. It has to deal with God's Word and the importance of it. Before we get to our text this morning, just a question. Have you ever been so certain of something and then only come to realize that you were wrong? Uh, men, I think this typically comes in the form of directions for us. Our wives say to us, hey, why don't you just ask directions? Or that's passe, but why don't you Google it? No, I know where I'm going. No need to do that. Uh, and then you wind up being 25 minutes late because you Google it and you're 25 miles away. Yesterday, uh, our van, the battery died in our van. A child left a door open or something. That's, what I'm that's the narrative I'm choosing to believe. It's probably me. The battery died in our van and we, uh, we had to jump it. However, you know our situation. We're in the back of a building and we we're parked right up against that building and there was no way to get jumper cables, at least the length in which I had to, to the battery. Um, our neighbor was working in the garage next to us. Mom said, why don't you go ask him for help? And I said, nope, there's nothing he can do. I, I've, I've done everything that I can do. There's nothing else that he can do. I won't tell you how that, that concluded. No. No, no, no. This is not about me, guys. Sometimes it's, it's said that we should not seek the understanding that, of our position before God. Sometimes it's said that we shouldn't even ask the question, am I a Christian? And I think that's wrong. I think that the psalm that we're about to look at is going to give us a, a clearer picture of that. But I believe that we should seek to know that we belong to Jesus. If we're in Christ, we should seek to know that we belong in Jesus. Because unlike being certain of directions to a location, assurance of our salvation and our right standing before God is not contingent on our knowledge, is not contingent on our understanding, is not in contingent on our merit, is not contingent on our work, is not contingent on our character, but it is contingent on God himself. Dr. Derek Brown defines assurance like this. He says, Assurance is the present intellectual and heartfelt conviction that I am at this very moment and for eternity at peace with the living God through Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about assurance of salvation, that's what we're talking about. The fact that we are and have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Again, assurance is only possible, though, when we understand that God is the one who is acting on our behalf, and He is the sole source of our salvation. Of course, we'll be uncertain of our position before God if we think that we brought about our own salvation. Of course we will be. Because we will be bogged down with a whole host of what-if type questions. What if I stop doing the thing that I'm doing 
that I believe earned me salvation in the first place? What if I lose my mind at the end of my life and deny Christ? The what-ifs are endless. And of course you'll be uncertain before, of your position before God if you think that following Jesus is earning you anything. Of course you'll be uncertain of your position before God if you think that obedience is earning anything. Of course you'll be uncertain of your position before God if you think that following Jesus comes through your efforts. But assurance will come to those who look to Jesus in every one of those areas. There is a problematic doctrine in the church that says, once saved, always saved, I pray a prayer, and therefore I'm good. This is a problematic doctrine. This is not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the assurance that we belong to Christ, that we are joined with Christ, not because, again, of our efforts or because of something that we deserve, but because of the work of Christ on our behalf. That causes us to grow up in the truth of the gospel and to bear much fruit as those who are sure of our position before God. Assurance will come to those who look to Jesus in every one of the areas of our lives. It is a mighty work of God to bring me back into right relationship with him when I was what comes next in that Colossians passage that we read just a moment ago on the screen alienated and hostile in mind. God made a way for us in Jesus. We didn't make that way. We were completely lost in our sin. We were in utter darkness. And on top of that, we were dead. We needed God to deal with our sin, which he did through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's how he deals with our sin. And we needed God to establish a path back to him, a trail that was blazed by Jesus. And we needed God to make us alive and give us the strength to wake up to the reality that there is no other way but through Jesus Christ to have right standing with God and everlasting joy for all of eternity. And it is a mighty work of God that I am able to act in obedience and give life or live a life that is pleasing to God, not because of my efforts or exertion. Once you're saved, it's still not because of your efforts or exertion. It is the strength of Christ and His Spirit that leads us to act in obedience. But because of Jesus, His obedience makes mine possible. Jesus lived a perfect life, perfect obedience to all that God commanded. His obedience makes my obedience possible. I'm not assured of my standing before God because of my obedience, but because of Jesus's. I cannot and will never be able to obey my way into heaven. Friends, you cannot and will not ever be able to obey your way into heaven or obey your way into assurance of right standing before God. But Jesus's perfect obedience is given to me. It's granted to me, freeing me to obey as an evidence that it has been given to me. So over the last two weeks, over the last two weeks, we kind of did like three-week sermon series, and I, what I want to do is kind of tie this all together this morning because the idea of insurance kind of brings in these understandings for us. It brings in these understandings. First week, we talked about self-examination and that it is the fact that, that we as God's people are searched and known by God, and no amount of searching and attempting to know ourselves will bring about 
assurance of salvation or assurance of our standing before God, but the understanding, like Psalm 139 says, that we are searched and known by our God, that grants us assurance in Him. And then last week we talked about running and what the idea of running is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9 and how we are running with gospel direction. Again, not as a way to earn right standing before God, but as a result of our right standing before God. How are we running with gospel direction? How are we boxing as one who is landing punches and not simply beating the air? We thought about proclamation of the gospel through the use of our time and our treasure and our talents, and that the Christian life requires, or not requires, but uh, results in a significant amount of discipline because we're demonstrating love for our Heavenly Father who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ Jesus. And so this morning, then, we actually want to think about how those things link together to assure us of our position before God. So if you have your Bible and you're in Psalm 119, we're going to read this text together. This is Psalm 119, verses 25 through 32. The psalmist writes this. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of your ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So two ideas that come out of this text. You see that there's almost kind of like two sections here. Maybe three if we break it down in a a different way. But you'll see two statements that are made. Verse 25 and verse 28. He begins, the psalmist begins by saying, my soul. We're going to use that sort of as our outline this morning. My soul clings to the dust and my soul melts away for sorrow. My soul clings to the dust and my soul melts away for sorrow. And everything that the psalmist writes here has to do with God's word. Again, Psalm 119 is exclusively about the word of God. So my aim here this morning is to show you how, or to show, to put on display for you, a spirit soaked in the word of God, a spirit soaked in the word of God will be assured by God as one who has been sealed by the spirit of Christ. Now, that last idea there is one who's been sealed by the Spirit of Christ. We're not going to flush that. We're not going to get to that this morning. Otherwise, I'm going to be preaching for like two hours, and you guys will be throwing things at me by the end, or you'll just get up and walk out. But the, the reality is that the, the seal, I'm just going to explain this for a second. In Ephesians chapter 1, yeah, Paul tells the Ephesians that he has been given a seal, or we, as those who are in Christ, have been given a seal, a guarantee of our inheritance. And that is the Spirit of Christ, which indwells every believer upon conversion. We receive the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ, if you are in Christ, dwells within you. That is a seal, it is a guarantee, it is a way that God says, this one is mine, and he puts a stamp on us. So again, we're not going to get into that idea as much as the other ideas in that statement. 
A spirit soaked in the word of God will be assured by God as one who has been sealed by the spirit of Christ. However, the sealed by the spirit of Christ is essential to the other two statements that kind of lead up or the other two ideas that kind of lead up to that because your spirit will never desire to be soaked in the word of God if you are not sealed by the spirit of Christ. If there is no internal, if there's nothing inside of you that will say, God, I want to know my God. And there will be nothing inside of you that will be assured because the Spirit of Christ will not lead you even down that path. And so these two my soul statements will guide our discussion about a spirit that is soaked in the Word of God will be assured by God as one who has been sealed by the Spirit of Christ. So first idea then, look at verse 25 with me. My soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. This is a loaded line in this, in this short section of Psalm 119. This is a loaded line. My soul clings to the dust. So the question we have to ask as good Bible readers is what do we know about dust? Why is it that, why is it that the psalmist would say my soul clings to the dust? And we, we have to think to ourselves, we've got to go back to Genesis 3, to the fall. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, what do we know about dust? In the garden, Adam and Eve, and they sin and they eat the fruit and God finds out and the curse of sin takes effect on them. The curse of sin takes effect on the world. And then dust represents death. Genesis 3.19, God says to Adam, he says to this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when the psalmist says here in Psalm 119, verse 25, that his soul clings to the dust, what he is saying is that he needs to be made alive. He needs to be made alive. How is it that we're going to be made alive? Look at the next line. He says, give me life according to your word. Give me life according to your word. And immediately here we see that it's God's word that gives us life. And so, our mind should immediately go to Jesus. Our mind should immediately go to Jesus. The word took on flesh and dwelt among us. How is it that we will be made alive? Through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that makes us alive. And so this morning, like two weeks ago, when we talked about self-examination, or last week we know, when we talked about those action takers, those people who are prone to take action, we need the word of God to make us alive, whether you are a self-examiner or whether you are an action taker. You need Jesus to make you alive. Life, friends, in this world, in this life, life in this life is the biggest need that you have. We engage people every single day who are dead, who are walking corpses. They need to be made alive in Jesus. They need to hear the truth of the gospel, that they can, as people, be restored to what was originally intended for them by their creator. New life in Christ is essential. So, again this morning, if if you are feeling as though you're simply unsure of your standing before God, you need to find assurance in the fact that it's not your efforts again that have won you right standing before God, but the fact that you are appealing to another. 
that you are appealing, that you can't make yourself alive. Lazarus didn't call himself out of the tomb. Jesus did. And the word of God, Jesus Christ, calls out to you. It called out to the psalmist. He said, give me life according to your word. The word of God called out to him and made him alive. An assurance of salvation actually does away with our tendency to believe that we can earn salvation. When you are sure that God is all you need to have right standing before God, you will stop trying to offer things that can't give you that right standing. Without Jesus, your soul clings to the dust. Salvation happens completely apart from your efforts. There is no rising out of the grave that can happen without the effective word of God calling you out. So think of it like this. You're, you're walking through a narrow canyon, a narrow canyon, and you come to a boulder, right? You come to a boulder. There's a boulder in your path. There's no way around to the left. There's no way around to the right. I think I did your left and my, yeah. There's no way around it to the left. There's no way around it to the right. There's no way over it. You can't dig underneath it. There's no way around this boulder. And there's no way to move forward. The question is then, how can you be sure that you can actually get to the other side and continue your journey? If your answer is to the question that through your efforts, pushing it or lifting it out of the way, you may be able to deceive yourself for a short amount of time. You might look at that boulder and say, it's not that big. I think I can move it. I think I can get it out of the way. That boulder weighs a ton. I think, I think I can get around it or move it. But the reality, we just assess reality in this, and we just have to say, we, we, we can't. We can't. We need something to move it out of the way for us. Everybody's checking their keys. <laughs> there was a giant barrier in our way. Friends, there was a giant barrier in our way. There was a giant barrier in our way. That barrier was our sin. And we honestly oftentimes are really good at deceiving ourselves that we can just like push it off, put it off, remove that barrier. Just if we work hard enough, we can get rid of it. We can move that boulder. We can get it out of the way. But in reality, there is only one way that can deal with the boulder of our sin sitting in the path in the narrow canyon that we are traveling along. And that's a crucified Christ. There's only one way. And that's a crucified Christ. You can believe in yourself all that you want. You can. You can believe in yourself all that you want. You can have an eternal monologue about how strong you are. But if the object of your belief is yourself, in that instance, you, the boulder will remain. If the object is belief in Jesus, the boulder will be removed. So what does the psalmist say then? What does he say next? He says in verse 26, When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. The way was blocked. The statutes and the precepts of the Lord are made known through his word. And although we could not keep them perfectly, God's wondrous work of sending his son to remove our sin problem becomes the place in which we meditate. So in order to be sure of our right standing before God, we must first understand that it is only because of him that we have that right standing to even begin with. 
What are you doing or have done that you think will give you right standing before God? What are you doing or have done that you think will give you right standing before God? That is a serious question, my friends. What are you doing or have done that you think will give you right standing before God? What are the things that you are relying on to deal with your sin problem other than Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question this week. Personally, I'm just reflecting on this. What, if I'm honest, if I'm honest about this, I have a lot of these things. I think to myself, if I lead well in my home, God will be pleased with me. I think to myself, if I lead well in the church, God will be pleased with me. If I'm, if I'm kind to others, God will be pleased with me. If I make the right decisions, God will be pleased with me. If, if you're all happy, God will be pleased with me. But I think that those things are the source of my right standing before God, and when I do, I will be anxious of my state before God because, friends, I'm doing those things in an imperfect manner. I am not doing those things perfectly. But if I trust Jesus and trust that God's pleasure rests on me, not because of what I have done, but because of what God has done for me in Christ, I will have assurance. My soul will be comforted and my mind will be at ease. And I will be free to lead in my home well. I will be free to lead in the church well. I will be free to make decisions that are God-honoring. I will be free to be kind to love others. My mind will be at ease. My soul will be comforted because those things are not the source of my salvation, but the, the reality and the evidences that flow out of my right standing before God. So look then with, the, with me, the, the psalmist then in verse 28. He says, My soul melts away for sorrow. My soul melts away for sorrow. So the question then becomes, because this is a very real thing for all of us, the question then becomes, what about when I'm not comforted? What about the times when I, when I, when I feel as though, like the psalmist says, that none of us are saying, walking around saying, my soul melts away for sorrow. But when I feel like, man, I'm really down. I'm really bummed out. Like, I don't know what's going on in my own mind, in my heart. What about when we slip into depression? What about when we slip into doubt? What, when our, what about when our soul is not comforted? If we're honest, there are these moments where we think too highly of ourselves, where we think about God and the salvation that is offered freely to us in Christ Jesus, and then we start thinking about ourselves and putting ourselves in the place that he can only give us right standing before God. When we start to think a little bit more highly of ourselves in those moments, what begins to happen is we shift the, the, the weight of the salvation that God has offered us into, in Christ from him to us, and we quickly find out that that is a shaky foundation. We quickly find out that we cannot, we cannot do the things that are required of us. We live in a society and in a culture where we idolize human effort. We idolize human effort. 
Friends, I idolize my own effort. I do. This is a huge issue. I would never stop working if my wife didn't look at me and say, stop working. It's because that's an idol. It's because I love to be productive and see the results of things. And my brain is excited when things get accomplished and things are happening and things are moving forward and I'm impatient but I'm, I'm rolling along the tracks of like, let's get this done. I idolize human effort. And the I, idolizing human effort looks at the things of the world and says, With that, that is incredible but never makes the connection that the strength that, that is, that we do that from comes from the Lord. So like my example is skyscrapers. I started out my college career as a civil engineer and quickly realized that I hated math, which is a terrible place to be. And so what I, I looked at skyscrapers and I said, those are incredible. What, what is that? I want to know more about that. And then I realized I couldn't because I hated math. But, but the reality is I look at a skyscraper and I say, what kind of human ingenuity has brought that about? And then I begin in my heart to idolize human effort. I say, wow, look at that. Well, I can't even begin to fathom what it takes to build a skyscraper. We have all of these advancements in technology in our world. But the reality is that all of the achievement that the world has made and all these strides that we've made in these spheres in the last hundred years, less than that in some instances, all of that achievement that we see in the world cannot give us any type of victory over sin and death. And so when I begin to idolize human effort, what I am saying is that, no, that can give me some victory over sin and death. If I just work hard and I, I plow through and work a 12, 13, 14, 16-hour day, But I quickly realized that self is a shaky foundation. I quickly realized that self is a shaky foundation. And if I look at self, and if we friends look at self, our soul will at some point melt away. We are finite, fallible creatures. So what does the psalmist say? How does the psalmist treat this sorrow? He cries out to God and says, Strengthen me according to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. His withering soul he treats with God's word. God's word gives us life. First, our soul clings to the dust. We need to be given life in Christ. And then second, we need to be given strength. Our source of strength is found in God alone. So again, remember that running that we were talking about last week that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? That running, and even when we get to the end of this section in this psalm, that running, we must ask ourselves the question, is that running with gospel direction? Or is it out of coming, flowing out of the idol of human effort? The use of time and our treasure and our talent, those things that we talked about last week, are those being used to build up, to care for, to equip, to love the body of Christ? Or to run, for us to run is to show that the strength doesn't come from us. 
which seems counterintuitive to our minds, like, no, I'm running, that's my, my effort, my strength. But the reality is, no, it's not. It's the, it comes from God. Look at verse 32, the final verse in, the, in this section. I will run in the ways of your commandments. What? What? When? When you enlarge my heart. When you enlarge my heart. The use of our, again, those time, treasure, and talent words to build up, to care for, to equip, and love the people of the local church, that's the enlarging of our heart that happens. That's God's will for us as a body. When our soul is melting away and when we feel like God is not for us, when we question his goodness, and we will, you will, friends, question God's goodness. You will question God's goodness. When bitterness takes over and forgiveness feels like no option. Some of you in this room are in that place this morning. Bitterness has taken root in your life and forgiveness feels like no option. When pride creates a wall between you and your spouse. (laughs) Men. Uh, How many of you this morning did pride create a wall between you and your spouse? Women, same question. It did like immediately for me this morning. When we think that we can be satisfied in something other than Jesus, when we think we can be satisfied in food or in drink or in sex or whatever, We think we can be satisfied in those things. We pray, enlarge our heart. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Our prayer must be that we would enlarge our heart, not only as individuals, but as a body, as the body of Christ, as this expression, as Buffalo City Church, as this expression of the local church. We must pray, enlarge our hearts, strengthen us according to our words so that we can run in the commands that you give us. To run with gospel direction with our time. Run with gospel direction with our treasure. To run with gospel direction with our talents and all of those things we hold with an open hand. We hold loosely and we say, God, this belongs to you and to you alone. Praise be to God for giving us these things But how much of it will I keep for myself? And we don't run again because we're earning something, but because we run because it demonstrates the the strength that God offers to us in Christ. A heart made alive to God in Christ is a heart that loves freely with all that we are because assurance comes through running with the gospel in mind. Two reasons why that's true. Assurance comes through running with the gospel in mind. One, because you understand that it is the gospel that saved you. Our soul clings to the dust. And two, two, because our understanding that the gospel strengthens you and it strengthens us to live a life that is honoring to God. So we have those two things, but then we ask the question, so what? So what? What does this all have to do? We have a few things for you. You'll see them on the screen before us, behind us. So what? First thing that I would say is this. Again, we have a lot of different backgrounds here, places that you've come from. I'm going to say to you this morning, assurance is God's will for you. Assurance is God's will for you. Look at these texts with me. uh, Colossians 
2, 1 through 3, Paul writes to that church, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Friends, that's the gospel. He's saying to to reach the full assurance of the truth of the gospel and how it impacts our life. That's what he's saying there. Full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? Is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Second thing, so that which is hidden is now revealed to us in Christ and we can now have assurance because God has chosen in Christ to reveal it to us. Second thing, or second verse. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, the author of Hebrews writes this, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope till the end so that you might not be, may not be sluggish, right, or running, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Hebrews 10, 22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Drawing uh, near with a true heart and full assurance because with hearts that have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies that have been washed with pure water, God's work, not our work there. 1 John 5.13, John writes this. The context of 1 John blows me away. It's a group of people who have had another group of people go out from them and who have denied, essentially, the message of the gospel. And John is writing the whole purpose of 1 John is to comfort people Like, no, continue on, endure, be assured of your position before God. And in uh, chapter 5, verse 13, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's like the goal of the, the book, the goal of the letter is to tell them that they have eternal life and that they may be assured of it. So again, we started with that statement out of the gate, right? We started with the statement, a spirit soaked in the word of God will be assured by God as one who has been sealed by the spirit of Christ. And why? Why does this all have to do with that? If you are soaked in the word of God, you will find that the word of God gives you hope, one hope, Jesus Christ. That's what you will find in God's word. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure what it means to trust Jesus or you have not trusted Jesus, you must realize that you're in right stand, you're not in right standing with God. The most loving thing I can say to you this morning is that you're not in right standing with God if you have not trusted Jesus exclusively for right standing with God. That's the most loving thing I can say to you this morning. I cannot allow you to, to not hear that this morning. Jesus came to earth. He was sacrificed in our place so that we might have right relationship with God. And if we think that we're getting the end of our life and God will commend us for not being that bad or sort of, you're a pretty good person. We're mistaken. You're mistaken, friend. And God demands perfection from it, but there is no way to achieve that perfection. And so we needed someone to do it for us. God sent Jesus a perfect sacrifice to remove our sin from us and give us the perfection that we need to stand before him. In response to that, if you've heard that this morning for the first time, 
the response to that is to repent of your sin, to turn from it, and to trust Jesus. And he can give you right standing before God. So if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, but you're struggling to be assured, I would say three things to you then. Three things, and we'll go through these quickly. First thing, soak yourself in God's word. Soak yourself in God's word. If you saturate yourself in the words of God, you will quickly find that it's not about you. The Bible is not, not a book about you. And if we're struggling this morning, it's because we've made it about us. We've made this about us, and we go to it and we ask the question, well, how can I know more about myself here? When in reality, the first and most crucial question this book is trying to answer is how do I know my God? We've made it our life about, we've made it about us and we failed to recognize that God has given us an incredible task to bring him glory through loving him and loving others and the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. That's not original. If you've made your life about anything other than the truth that's contained here, in order for us to make it not about us, we must acknowledge that the gospel isn't about us anyways. God is concerned with the glory of his name. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. He's not sharing that with us. And this is the way that God chose to glorify himself, by purchasing a people back for himself. By purchasing a people back for himself. That by showing that all he is is far greater than the opposition, mainly sin and death. God is far greater. If you approach the Bible with yourself at the center, you will find no assurance. Because it's not about you. <laughs> if you pick up a biography of Abraham Lincoln and hope to learn more about yourself, you won't. And why would we do that with the Bible? If God's word is about God, he is your source of life, salvation, and strength, you will find assurance there. Soak yourself in God's word. Second thing, do something with what God has given you. And this is the tie to last week a little bit. Not only is the Bible not about you, neither is what you have or what you've been given. Neither of those things are about you. Give sacrificially of what you have to the people here, to the local church. Help by equipping them in their marriages, in their families, in their workplaces. Giving them encouragement. Offering the truth that you contained here. Don't hoard it or use it for your own purposes and never consider God's. So that's the second thing. Do something with what God has given you. And then third, embed yourself in the local church. As if two leads to three. Three leads to two interchangeably with people who understand what they have is not theirs either. Acknowledge that this is God's plan A, that the church is God's people set apart for God's purposes, for God's glory. God has been far more, uh, God has far more for us than just showing up on a Sunday morning or once a week to community group. We will not rally around the mission to see Jamestown and the surrounding region impacted with the gospel if we're Sunday-only people. So let me take the guesswork out of this. I'm talking about discipleship. Now, we talk about our mission, our mission statement, so formal. Um, our mission is to make, we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
And what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about being involved and embedded in the local church is getting together in discipleship relationships. I'm talking about getting together with other people, another person, hearing their heart and encouraging them in God's word, saying to another person, hey, can we get, grab lunch this week and read the Bible? Are you going to make this a weekly thing or a bi-weekly thing? Or like, let's get together and pray together. I'm talking about bearing our own soul to another person, allowing them to speak truth into our lives. Sunday morning is an important element in the life of the local church. And people who try to seek to reduce that, that's a problem. However, it is not the only element contained within the life of the local church. We must be, as people, getting together on a regular basis and encouraging one another in the Word of God. Sunday morning, again, like I said, is an important element in the life of the local church. And we need to hear the word preached. But then if we never ask someone what they've learned or what they're learning in their lives or, or even to give another thought throughout the week, then it really doesn't do much good. Sunday, Sunday morning, sometimes we like say, well, this is a consumer. Like if you just show up in this space and consume here, like that just makes you a consumer. But I would argue that if that's, if that's your mindset and that's your mentality, well, I just need to be fed and just show up. Like, not only does that only make you a consumer, it makes you a really bad consumer. It makes you a consumer that says, boy, I wish I had some mayonnaise on my, on my sandwich. And then you go to the store and buy some mayonnaise. And then every time you make a sandwich, you forget to put mayonnaise on your sandwich. That's what it's like to show up to Sunday morning only. It's like, boy, I really want that thing in my life. And then never allow it to affect anything else throughout the course of your week or to feed you throughout the rest of the week, or allow it to encourage you to feed others throughout the course of the week? On the flip side, discipleship, and the, the goal of discipleship is to go to another person and say, man, I had some really good bread this week. Would you like some too? Do you know what... I read this week. It really encouraged me. Let's do that together. So friend, it is God's will for you. It is God's will for you, like we said this morning from this text. It is God's will for you that you be assured of your position before him. And you can be because he is your foundation. He is your salvation. When your soul clings to the dust and it will, when you feel like death, and when your soul melts away for sorrow like the psalmists, where will you find your comfort? Where will you find your joy? It is God who makes you alive through his word according to Christ. And when our soul melts away, it is God who gives us strength according to his word. And we're able to live free from doubt. We're able to live with open hands. We're able to trust and love and honor others. We're able to run with gospel direction. We're able to take the gospel to the Jamestown region. We're able to move beyond just our Sunday morning only mentality and into a life that is encouraging and loving and offering bread to others who are hungry. We're free then in these things to glorify God. Let me read this just in conclusion. I just, just, just close your eyes. Let's just let, let this text wash over you because this is the basis for everything that we've talked about this morning. This is Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
You have been saved and raised up with him and seated, uh, seated us with, the, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray.